I want to continue our conversation we began last week about anti-intellectualism. And I want to do so by offering some encouragement to, one, think Christianly according to biblical principles, and then number two, to pursue spiritual maturity. And I want to end by encouraging pastors to make spiritual maturity the norm in the life of your church, the, that, that every Christian should be making progress in his or her walk with Christ. So number one, let's begin by examining a, uh, a taxonomy or a, uh, uh, a way to think Christianly in general. There are a few core commitments we have to adopt as we begin. Number one, biblical authority. The Bible is the revealed word of God. It's inspired by God, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, necessary, clear. It's authoritative. It's the standard for living according to the will of God. First Timothy, second Timothy three, 16 through 17, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for correction, for teaching rather, re- reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped, competently equipped for every good work, be perfect, competent, equipped for every good work. So, Pastor, you are the man of God that the Lord has put into your church He has given you the scriptures to competently equip you to do the work of ministry and to equip others to do the work of ministry. Modern media and technological advancements are not divine revelation. So aim your attention, focus your attention on the scriptures, for there is biblical authority. Number two, gospel centricity gospel centricity. The gospel, as revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ, is the overarching theme of scripture and the defining mark of Christian identity, not virtue signaling. So again, you are defining yourself, establishing your identity by Christ. You are in Christ. You are known by your union with Christ. And so that should be a core commitment when it comes to thinking Christianly, building on biblical authority centered in the person and work of Jesus Christ through the gospel. We are in Christ. Number three, theological clarity. Scripture clearly teaches everything the Christian needs for life and godliness in the kingdom of Christ. Second Peter 1, 3 through 5, right? His divine power has granted to us everything we need for life and godliness through a knowledge of him who called us according to his very great and precious promises. We want to um, see as the Christian goal to bring truth to bear on every situation, not to set up emotional strongmen to easily or rudely defeat. That is an easy anti-intellectual way to handle things. We are focusing our attention on theological clarity built on the foundation of the authoritative word of God, centered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We are aiming toward theological clarity, including all nuance and 
differences and distinctions to do so. Number four, ecclesiological community. The church of Jesus Christ exists to make disciples in fellowship. We see Acts 4.42, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. There's one hope, one faith, one body, one baptism, um, one Lord. We are, we are together to make disciples. And so we, as the people of God, connected to the local church, exist to make maturing disciples. If you look in Ephesians 4, that progress in maturity that we'll read about later is essential for us even thinking um, theologically, thinking Christianly as we look to the world around us, as we look to issues inside the church and outside the church. We have to recognize that our place, our connection is to the church. And then number five, missional activity. The external mission of the church of Jesus Christ is to extend the glory and reign of Jesus to the nations. It's not to destroy our opponents on cable news. It's not to destroy our opponents on Facebook or Twitter or wherever else. The external mission of the church of Christ is to extend the glory and reign of Jesus to the nations. Matthew 28 is clear. Acts 1.8 is clear. But a lot of times under the guise of standing up for the truth, we see destroying other people as a part of that mission, when in reality, we are to be advancing the gospel of Christ over the temptation to um, defeat an opponent. Now, what what we can see as a response here pretty quickly is, yes, but... Isn't it an anti-intellectual thing to just say, just preach the gospel, don't talk about theology, don't talk about nuance? Well, um, I understand that response. What, What we're trying to argue, what I'm trying to argue for here is that we should think Christianly, the idea that we should think Christianly um, inside the reality of the church, inside this um, the pale of orthodoxy, I guess, or this, this, um, evangelical sphere in which we find ourselves, we should think deeply about theology, deeply about doctrine, deeply about the truth. And we should engage these issues faithfully, but at the same time, we have to engage these issues faithfully all the while with an eye to our external mission, which is to seek and to save the lost, to aim the gospel toward all nations, to make disciples of all nations. So again, this intellectual, this anti-intellectualism, it itself militates against disciple making because disciple as a word means learner. We're to be those who are learning, who are growing in understanding, growing in our knowledge of the truth, our character as people who believe and obey the truth, and as our in, in our ability to competently share the word of God in every circumstance in which we find ourselves. So all of those areas are to be areas of progress and growth and maturity. And so um, it is an anti-intellectual thing to go against, in terms of Christian intellectualism, it is an anti-intellectual thing to go against the missional activity of the church in favor of debating a certain issue. So again, it's truly an intellectual thing to look deeply into gospel issues 
all the while with the aim of exalting the name of Jesus before those who don't know him. So like we have to take all of these things together. So I want to return to the idea of um, thinking and loving the Lord with all of our minds as a discipleship issue. And I just want to read a few passages of scripture in, in an encouragement to you. We have to see the necessity of progress in spiritual maturity as a biblical priority. Titus 2, 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Look at this, training us to renounce ungodliness, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives, to redeem us from lawlessness, purify himself for a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We're talking about training and development and progress and growth and maturity. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Why do we work out? Why do we make progress in our faith? Because for it is God who works in you both to will, to have the desire and to work, to have the ability for his good pleasure. God is at work in us to change the way that we think, to to change the things that we have affection toward our feeling, and then to have the ability to carry out obedient acts, good works for the sake of the kingdom of God and the glory of God as the people of God. So this is a, a part of our natural progress as disciples. Ephesians 4, this is a longer passage, but so, so helpful. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? So that we may no longer be children, immature tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." This is one of the realities of Christ's ministry to the people of God, giving evangelists, shepherds, pastors, teachers, that is, to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. And that work of ministry is a maturing ministry. There are areas that every Christian must be engaged and areas in which every Christian must be making progress, must be growing. This is a part of what it means to be a believer in Jesus and a disciple of Jesus. We're growing in our faith. We're growing in the things that we know. We're growing in the, in the ways that we live. And we're growing in our ability to minister to those inside and outside the church. This is what it means to be a believer. And so this is what it means for the church to create an environment in which 
believers enter this kind of discipleship paradigm where they are growing in all of these areas. So again, pastor, make your church a school of Christ founded on the scriptures, doctrinally robust, changing the ways that people think, the things that people feel, and the the, the ways that people act so that we can be a growing people. That's, that's what you want to see happen in the life of your church. Last then, Hebrews 5, 12 through 6, 1. Um, I believe that the author of Hebrews is Apollos, and um, maybe a, a, a podcast in the future can cover why I think that is. But um, I'm going to go ahead and drop that bomb on you now, and then we'll see what happens uh, later. If you want, if you have comments as to why I'm wrong, I look forward to not reading those. But Hebrews 5:12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. Do you see these words? Look at these words. You need milk, not solid food. The basic principles. You should be going on. You should be gaining skill in the word of righteousness. You should not be just a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, Apollo says, Let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This is an expectation that he has of the church that to whom he is writing to press on to make progress in spiritual maturity. And so thinking Christianly or this I guess the, 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 the converse of anti-intellectualism is a Christian intellectualism, understanding that we are to be growing in the things that we know. Again, the word disciple means learner. You are a learner. You're learning and growing in these aspects of truth and of discipleship. This is just what it means to be a disciple, to be a learner. But the, but the, the, the idea that we could be an anti-intellectual community is itself militant against, it fights against discipleship. We cannot allow that to be, and we cannot be those kinds of people and those kinds of churches. We have to be the kind of place, we have to create the kind of environment, the kind of culture in our churches where people know that they will be growing in every aspect of their faith. And next time, as we talk about this, I'm going to emphasize spiritual maturity again, emphasize spiritual maturity, but from a different angle. There are several great books that have impacted my thinking about spiritual maturity and our, our, our pursuit of it in one way or another. Um, we're, we're going to talk about, um, the Juvenilization of American Christianity by Thomas Bergler and other works that are similar to that, just to talk through what it looks like to examine spiritual maturity in the life of a church and why it should be such a priority. And then I want to argue why the life of a pastor theologian is, or the ministry of a pastor theologian is so important to cultivate this kind of community. So 
Again, thank you for listening. I would love to hear your thoughts. You can go to my website, jeremyjessen.com, and contact me or comment on this episode uh, page for this conversation. More updates are coming to my website, so look for those. Stay tuned, and I look forward to our next Ordinary Conversation. 